Praise the Lord. Listen, no one wants a useless faith. No one wants a useless faith. It's like, I ain't got time for that, right? Does anybody have time for a useless faith? No way. We want a faith that is both effective and is productive in our lives. In other words, we want a faith, come on, that is useful. Like day to day, on the streets, where we live, in our homes, at our schools, at our places of work, in our most challenging times, and our most beautiful times, we want a faith that works. We want a faith that is effective and productive, a faith that is useful. And the Apostle Peter, what we've been looking at in the last couple of weeks of conversation, this is what he talked about in 2 Peter chapter 1. And this is what he said, that our expectation would be this, that our expectation would be that we would only have a useful faith if we are willing to upgrade our faith. Everybody say upgrade. Upgrade. Our Our faith. We need an upgraded faith in order for it to be useful because no one's got time for a useless faith, an ineffective, unproductive faith. And this is what he says is there in your notes, right at the very top, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he says, make every effort to add to your faith. I mean, it's very interesting, right, that he would say, add to, because we get this perception, no, that my faith is enough. Once I've said yes to Jesus, that's all that I need. But what Peter is urging us is that, yes, that secures your salvation. You said yes to the good news of the gospel. Jesus died. He paid the price, right? We get to enjoy his forgiveness, his empowerment, new life in him. What else could there be? But he says this, that's just the beginning. God has more for you. He has more for you. But we won't get to the more. We won't get to that effective, useful faith unless we're willing to upgrade, to add to it. So then he goes on, he lists seven things that he considered essential upgrades to your faith. But then he gives this promise. He lists seven things. He said, upgrade with these things. Then he gives this promise from God, and it's found in the next verse, in verse 8. He says this, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or put it this way, You will be effective, you will be productive in your faith if you do these things. If you add to your faith, if you upgrade your faith, you will become effective and productive. What a great promise from the Lord. So last week, we began a conversation taking a list, a look at what was the first thing on Peter's list. What was the first essential upgrade that he said is needed to add to our faith so that we would have this really effective, useful, productive faith? And it's there in 2 Peter 1.5. He says, make every effort to add to your faith, what? Goodness. Goodness. 
God to your faith goodness that we've been talking about for the last couple weeks. The reason he lists these is because these are not automatically included when you say yes to Jesus. That's the beginning of your transformation. You are a new creation. The slate has been wiped clean. You have been forgiven. You are fresh, clean, redeemed, right? Don't make you good. It does not make you good when you are saved. We have to add goodness to our faith. So check this out. Last week when we began talking about this word goodness, we, we talked about the fact that it doesn't just mean becoming a better person, a nicer person. It actually has to do with this inner transformation. This inner transformation where we go from living lives that are broken and sinful to becoming people of faith who are now living with the same kind of moral excellence that was shown by Jesus himself. So we looked at last week that Jesus is called good. And so if we want to know what it looks like to have goodness added to our lives, guess what we're to do, friends? Look at the life of Jesus, because he embodied goodness. When we see Jesus, we see goodness. Praise the Lord. I, I, I love that. So we look at Jesus to see what goodness is like, and we're told that we're to become like Jesus. But now go to the, the first little blank spot in your notes there. Check this out, because it's important to know this. If we're to be like Jesus and he was good, how does that even work? Goodness is not perfection. But see, Jesus was perfect in every way. So it's like, man, if he was good, well, he was perfect. I, am I supposed to be perfect in order to be good? No, we're not going to be perfect until we see Jesus face to face. So then what is goodness? If it's not perfection, it is this. It is the commitment to make right what is wrong in my life. That's what goodness is. Because all of us have wrong in our, in our stories. And whenever we come across that and go, oh my gosh, I've been thinking wrong, I've been doing wrong, I've been living this life that, that has been, you know, it's still got the remnants of sin and brokenness in, in my story. It's like, what am I to do with that? It is... God, I am committing to you right now that whenever I discover something wrong in my story, what I'm going to do is I am going to make it right. Empowered by you to do it. Not, not like in my own strength, but God, I'm committing to make right what's wrong in my story. And that is, I think, a much clearer and better understanding of what it means to have goodness added to our faith. And listen, when, when believers don't get this, when, when, they, when believers, people who said yes to Jesus, but they never add goodness to their faith, oh my goodness. I mean, can we just admit it? That they don't look anything like Jesus. And when we bump into him, we're like, oh my gosh, that person is a train wreck. It's like, you know, they, they say that, they are a follower of Jesus, but their life is a mess because they keep doing things that not only hurt themselves, they're hurting others. 
but they're calling themselves a Christian. I don't understand this. Well, here's the revelation, guys. These are people who said yes to Jesus, but never added to their faith. They never added goodness. There was no commitment in their soul to when they see something that is wrong or something gets revealed to them that is wrong, that they would say, no, I'm going to make it right because I want to look and live like Jesus. Look and live like Jesus. People that don't do that, I think, man, they ran into a really big problem. And and Paul describes that problem here in that next scripture that is on your notes. It's from 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 11. And it's a beautiful picture that I think ties in to what we are studying here in 2 Peter 1. I want you to see this. He says, no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ, right? He's making this clear statement. Our foundation is Jesus, right? No one else. There is no other name given among heaven or earth, right, that can bring us to salvation, only the name of Jesus. He is our rock and our foundation. Can't, can't have any other foundation than Jesus, right? So he, he states that right up front. Then he goes on, though, and says, anyone who builds on that foundation. Now, you just underline that right there because that is an an echo of what we're seeing in 2 Peter 1, to add to our faith, to build on that foundation. Same same principle spoken in in other words, kind of giving us another uh, illustration or example of the same truth that that foundation of our life in Christ is meant to be built upon. You following me? Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, uh uh-oh, hay, or straw. But on the final judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each Builder has done. In other words, what we add to our faith, friends, is going to be judged. It's going to be tested. It's going to come under that fire of testing. What did you add to your faith? What did you build on that foundation of Christ? It says, goes on and says, the fire will show if a person's work has any value. Yikes, how how do you like to be standing before God one day and he goes, yeah, all those things you did in my name, Mm, no value. What? But but God, I I, I thought I was living for you. Mm. What you added to your faith didn't amount to anything. In other words, to go back to Peter's words, it was ineffective. It was unproductive. Man, wouldn't you rather like wrestle through that right here and now and go, oh yeah, I don't don't want that to be my future conversation with the God of the universe who made me and who loves me and who has empowered me and has given me this foundation of Jesus himself to build upon. Wouldn't wouldn't it be good to like, if we could like figure that out now? Figure out, God, how can I have this useful faith, effective and productive? But keep going. But if the work survives, 
that builder will receive a reward. Now that's what I'm talking about. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Man, I don't want to be that person who's saved and gets to heaven, but man, like the flames of hell were like licking at my feet. Like I barely got through, Lord, thank you. I, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the one that says, hey, well done, my good and faithful servant. In other words, everything that I gave you, right, to use, you turned it into something that was effective and productive, useful, because you built on it. You added, you upgraded your faith, didn't you? God, I tried. I, I was committed. I was committed to it, and I was committed to goodness. Committed to goodness. So, I wanna, so we're going back to this conversation about goodness now and that we started last week. I want you to think about when is the time that you can remember that your car, your car, everybody think about your car, was the dirtiest it has ever been. The dirtiest it has ever been. I think probably for me, I was kind of thinking back and probably at the end of a very long road trip, you know, it's like where you didn't have time to get the bugs out of the grill and it's like, oh my gosh, it is like so filthy and maybe it rained just a little bit enough to make it really, really bad and ugly and then you got more dirt and more dust and rode through some mud puddles and you got stuff, you know, all over. And then probably I'm thinking about that because I also had like little kids in the back and you know what they do. You know, it's like they're grinding food into the little carpet. They're... They got bodily fluids like in the back. And it's like, oh man, my car is dirty inside and out. I, I knew a guy when I was in high school who told us a story, true story, something that he and his friends had done to a neighbor that they really didn't like. That neighbor had a custom van. These kids found a cat, fed it X-Lax, and locked it in that van. I hope your car has never been that dirty. Some of our souls may have looked like that. Hopefully your car has never been that dirty. But here, listen, here's the point. When we clean our car, we have to like clean both the inside and the outside for it to truly be clean, right? Too many of our car washes in Santa Maria, they just want to do the outside, right? They don't want to deal with the inside. We've got to do both in order for our car to be really clean, inside and out. Now, last week, we began a conversation about cleaning the interior portions of our life. How do we take those places of sin and brokenness Stuff that I've done, things that, that like are just really representative of the brokenness in my own story. How do I clean the inside of that? And we talked about God's truth of repentance and that repentance makes the way for me to be clean, to restore goodness, right? That commitment, Lord, whenever there's anything wrong in me, I'm gonna make it right. 
And anything that's on the inside of my life, on the interior of my life, that needs that cleaning. It doesn't matter if somebody let loose a cat on the inside of my life, right? Little kids grinding food, all whatever. When we repent, the promise is Jesus bringing his cleansing work even to the dirtiest, most foul, ugly, yucky stuff inside my life. And it's repentance that paves a way for that. We talked about that last week. You can go back and catch that message on YouTube or on our podcast if you want to know more about that. But guess what? There's also an interior. Oh, no, there's the interior is what we talked about last week, but there's also this exterior of our life. Exterior. The exterior part of our life is the outward dimensions. Lived in relationship with other people. Sometimes it's not just the sin and brokenness of myself that has caused this interior mess, but guess what? It is the sin and brokenness of other people that they've splashed up against our lives. And so we've got all this brokenness on the outside of our life that came through relationships. It can be very, very painful, very, very hurtful. How do we get free from those things? And there in your notes, I want you to check this out. If repentance is how we clean the inside of our lives, how do we clean the outside? Friends, it's through forgiveness. It's through forgiveness forgiving those whose sin and brokenness was splashed up on our lives. Forgiveness is how we become free from the pain, the anger, and the brokenness that comes when others sin against us. Now listen, I believe that too many people, even followers of Jesus, have had the impression that the only way that they could like fix that brokenness that came from other people is that if those other people were to come back and like work to make it right. Like they need to repent. They need to come back and make amends. They hurt me. They need to come and make it right so that this can be fixed and that I can once again be whole. Guess what, guys? I'm here to burst that bubble. It is absolutely a false narrative. We can receive our healing by forgiving others even if they never make it right. We have the power to forgive even if that other person never repents never comes back and says that they were sorry for what they did. Now, listen, this is mind-blowing. I didn't, I didn't catch this till I was almost 40 years old, going through pain and difficulty and struggle. I was going through my own brokenness, and, and, it, and it was being inflicted by someone outside of me that was like just doing things in their own story that was so hurtful and painful, and I've, I've shared some of that before, I'd be happy to sit down and tell you my whole story. But I was like holding on. I was gripping tight to that pain, that anger against that other person. 
I was waiting for them to come back and say, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm the one that's wrong here. But instead, I was getting the opposite. They were like pouring salt in the wound. I was so angry and upset until I made this discovery through God's word and through some very helpful counseling where I realized, no, I have the power to forgive even if that person never does a thing to make it right. I can clean the exterior of my life, right? Because I'm, I'm responsible for both, the inside and the outside. I can take responsibility for all of it and I can not only work through repentance for where I've done wrong, but I can work through forgiveness with others who have done wrong against me. Listen, I think this is such good news, friends, to realize that you have the power to forgive even if that person never comes back. Why? Well, one, because some people are just too jerky to ever realize that they were at fault. That person's so broken, they ain't ever gonna come and say they were sorry. So quit waiting for it. Just get on with the forgiving, okay? Secondly, maybe that person is like, did something to you years ago, They've moved like so far away. You have no idea even where they are at all. They're like gone out of the story. So there's no way for them to like come back and make it right. And, and check it out. There's also other people that very possibly have brought pain and hurt into your story that have now since died. Like there is no way for them to ever come back and make it right. It might've been a parent, might've been a grandparent, may have been a neighbor, whatever. But check it out. And I love this, it's so important, and it's the good news, and is there in your notes. Our forgiveness of someone else is never dependent on that person. Never, ever, ever. You have the power to forgive, even if that other person never recognizes their sin, their brokenness, and how they hurt you. Listen, this kind of goodness is the kind of goodness that we see represented in the life of Jesus. Even on the cross, what did Jesus do? Turns to those soldiers who literally were in the process of killing him and says what? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. What? See, Jesus understood that he had that power. He had the power to forgive, even though those soldiers weren't like, oh, we're so sorry, we shouldn't have done this. No, no, they were not doing that. He forgave them anyway, because he knew the truth of this. Why do we look at Jesus and call him good? Why do we look to Jesus to understand what goodness might look like in our story? Because Jesus, you got this. You understood. Now, he didn't need to repent because there was nothing within him that was sinful or broken. He was perfect in every way. But man, on that exterior side of his life, in his relationship with other people, he didn't want anything to enter into his story that was gonna like mess him up or stick. And he's like, no, 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 no. It would be really easy right, to call down judgment and fire on these 
you know, on these soldiers, he did the opposite. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Listen, if, if we forgive like a repentant person, like somebody like comes and, Lisa, I'm so sorry, I really messed up. Would you forgive me? If Lisa was to go, <laughs> no, I can forgive you. I mean, we'd be very surprised, right? Because in, in many ways, when we forgive a repentant person, that's kind of like almost expected, right? It, it's, it's kind of like a baseline to just having normal, healthy human relationship. If a person comes to you and says they're sorry and they repent and they like own up to it and like, hey, how can I make this right? It's like, if you don't say yes, yeah, there's, there's issues, there's problems there. Because that's just like a baseline, this is a baseline of normal, healthy human relationship, whether you're saved or not, right? Does that make sense? But to take it to this other step, to actually forgive someone who is unrepentant, man, that's the bigger thing, isn't it? That's the much greater challenge. But I think, I think we can grow in both of these both working with people who are repentant, because that's really great when that happens. Hallelujah. That makes it way easier. But it's a challenge to forgive those who are unrepentant. But I think that we can grow in both. And when we do that second one, forgiving those who are unrepentant, my goodness, we have this breakthrough of goodness in our life because we are doing the very thing that looks so much like our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Now listen, just a few, few notes, and then I want to get real practical before we end. Take a few minutes to do that. But listen, there are some things that have been painful in your life that you do not need to forgive. There are some things that other people have done that like, ouch, that hurt. You don't need to forgive them. Let me give you, for instance, when someone has done their very best, maybe imperfectly, but they did their very best to speak truth into your life about something that was hard for you to like think about and you, you didn't want to hear it. And you know what? Maybe it caused a little bit of hurt and pain in your life. Suck it up, <laughs> right? That person doesn't need forgiveness. They need your appreciation, <laughs> right? Oh, that bruised my ego when that person came and told me something that was hard to hear. That's okay. Suck it up. Brush it off, kiss your little ego, right? Mend, mend that all, poor little me. And then get up and go and say thank you to that person. You don't need to forgive them, you need to thank them. Thank them for speaking truth into your life because friends, that's how we grow. Hearing things that sometimes we don't wanna hear about ourselves and our story. and how. So just because somebody... It's like caused you some pain. You need to really think about it. Maybe I need to like actually go and thank them. If they were doing that for my benefit and for my help, even imperfectly. But the, listen, there is another kind of pain that is entirely different. There's a kind of pain that was trauma against you. And we all like live in this broken world and we all know of our own stories of being traumatized sometimes as children, sometimes as youth, sometimes as adults. 
where we, where we look back and we recognize, no, that was so deeply painful and traumatic in, in my story that, God, I don't, I don't know, can I ever be healed? Can I ever get that exterior of my life cleaned? Can I ever experience wholeness again? Friends, let me tell you, there is hope. No matter the level of pain, no matter the level of trauma, right, inflicted, there is hope. I am so thankful for counselors, for therapists who are like willing to walk with us all the way through those traumatic things, all the way to freedom, all the way to healing. I've been blessed by both counseling and therapy. I think it is so helpful because we can get free. Jesus sets us free and others can walk alongside of us to help us find our complete and Freedom and wholeness in Jesus. Isn't that good? But listen, I want to let you know, when we talk about forgiveness, I want, I want you to know that we're not trivializing anybody's pain here. But to say, oh, just, you know, forget, forget, you know, forgive, forget. There's nothing in Scripture. Look right here, guys. There's nothing in Scripture that says that forgiveness is forgetting. Or somehow that by if I was to forgive that person, that it somehow absolves them of responsibility for what they did. No, people are still responsible for whatever pain, whatever sin, whatever brokenness that they splashed up on your life or someone else. Forgiveness is not forgetting and forgiveness is not absolving someone of their responsibility. Is that helpful? But I'll tell you what, it is so deeply important that we understand how to walk into forgiveness. So what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? There in your notes, forgiveness has to do with letting go. Letting go. It is the process of giving to God the offense and the offender. Trusting him with both. It is, forgiveness, friends, is letting go. And and did you notice, I called it a process. It's this process. It doesn't happen usually just all in like three seconds. And we'll we'll get to that, but it'll it'll be very clear by by the end end of this message. So how do we do that? How do we let go? How do we open our hands and give over these offenses and the offender to the Lord. I want to just close with three things for for you to note and to to take home to meditate on. You ready? Number one is the hardest. Let go of the pain. Let go of the pain. Why is this hard? Because sometimes when we take that pain that has been so real and so pressing into our story. I mean, you know, you know what it's like. All of you have experienced pain. Relational pain and brokenness. Sometimes, I mean, you can't sleep at night. It's like you're consuming thought. You go to the grocery store and nods, what are you thinking about? Is that person what they did to you? You're at the dinner table and all of a sudden that person comes back into your mind and the pain is so, this is so difficult and challenging. Why? Because a lot of times we think, God, if I was to let that go, that I would be letting it go like into the air, like it didn't happen. 
That's not the case. When we let go of our pain, what we're actually doing is letting it go to our Father who loves us, who cares for us. This is the way the psalmist described the one that we would be giving our pain to, letting our pain go. Listen to what he says in Psalm 34, verses 17 through 19. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Yes! Jesus, thank you. When we release our pain, when we let go of the pain of that thing that happened against us, friends, we're not just like, oh, it didn't happen, or I'm letting it go. We're not pretending or forgetting. We are literally saying, God, I was not designed to carry this pain. You did not create me to carry that person's brokenness. I got my own brokenness to deal with. I gotta learn to repent and clean out the inside, but God, I'm not designed to carry this pain that someone else has inflicted upon me. So God, I am giving it over to you, the one who loves my soul, who hears me when I cry out to you, who rescues me from my trouble, who's close to me, especially when I'm brokenhearted. Oh, Jesus, thank you for taking this pain. I give it to you today. I take it, listen, let, let it go. Like, take it, and even the idea of letting it go, you have to recognize that it's really there. Like, you have to acknowledge, no, this hurt, this painful, and this is still pressing into my life. But God, I'm no longer wanting to cling to it. God, I am opening up my fingers. I am releasing my clutch on this pain that I've held so close. And I am literally, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it. I do not want this in my life any longer. I am rejecting it. I am throwing it to you. Take this as far from me as you would. I give it to you. And that's where we start. Are we willing to open our hands up and forgive? Are we willing to let go of the pain? Now here's one other thing before I get to point number two, just very quickly. When, when I said that forgiveness never has to do with forgetting or it doesn't give the person a free pass, sometimes we don't want to we don't wanna like let go of the pain because we think that that's what's gonna happen and that person's just gonna keep trampling all over us because sometimes they're still in our stories. Sometimes they live next door. Sometimes they live in our house, whatever, you know? And it's like, no, forgiveness doesn't mean that. And so sometimes along with letting go of the pain is the establishment of healthy boundaries. When you forgive someone, it has nothing to do with letting that person back in to keep trampling all over your spirit, your life, your body, whatever. No, you may need to put a very healthy boundary between you and that person until they are no longer a threat, till they have proven that they, are, that they now have access back to your life again. Healthy boundaries. We could probably do a whole message on that sometime. 
But I just wanted to make note of that. Because forgiving and letting the pain go to God does not mean that they should have access back into your life and story. No, you can like say, absolutely not. You do not have access to my life. You do not have access to my kids. You don't have access to whatever. Number two, what else do we let go of? We let go of the right to punish those who hurt us. We let go of the right to punish those who hurt us. See, our natural human tendency, right? And we've even been taught this, man, if somebody hurt you, hurt them back. Make them pay for what they did. And it is this like natural human tendency that's like, man, you hurt me, I gotta hurt you back. If I did, what, who am I? What am I? If I, if I don't, you know, if I don't like push back, you know, other people are gonna trample all over me, whatever. Looking from a human perspective, that makes sense. But if we are upgrading our faith with goodness, the goodness of Jesus, we're forced to like take a different approach. And it's trusting God with this. Would I do a better job punishing that individual for what they did or might God be better at it? Can I trust God to do a better job than I would at being the judge, the jury, and even the executioner as needed? You know what I mean? Because if I take that on myself, if I step into the roles of judge, jury, and executioner, and I say, no, I'm gonna bring punishment, guess what? All it does is it just winds me up more into the brokenness of the story. I, I literally, I get more caught up in the brokenness of what happened when I try to be the one to be the punisher of those who have hurt me. But will I trust the Lord who has promised, and here's the promise is there in your notes in Romans 12. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. And that's where it goes on and says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He's already promised to be your avenger. He has already promised. Will we trust him with that? When we do, that's when we say, okay, God, now I'm also, I'm not only just gonna let go of the pain, I'm gonna let go of my right to punish those who have hurt me. I'm turning it over to you. I'm gonna trust in you to do whatever disciplining in that person's life is needed and necessary. Third thing, it's how we let go. We let go continuously continuously. It is, that's why it's a process. It is not just a one-time event where it's like, okay, I forgive him. Now can I move on with my life? No, because it pops back up again tomorrow. Even either because that person does something again or because the memory comes flooding back and the pain comes flooding back. Forgiveness needs to be this continual thing that we walk in. It's why Jesus turns to Peter in Matthew 18, when Peter says, hey, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? I mean, he's like, he's like really upping it. Like, this is the most I can even think of in human perspective. Jesus, seven times? Like for an entire week? Do I forgive that person? 
And Jesus kind of flips it around and says, no, 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 no. Mm -mm. If you want to be good, Peter, I don't know, maybe there's some other words that got left out here. Peter, if you want to be good, if you want to add goodness to your faith, it's not seven times. It's 70 times seven. Can you imagine Peter's like, Jaw hits the floor, his like, eyes get open really big. He's like, dang, you're really serious about this forgiveness stuff, aren't you, Jesus? Yeah. Why did Jesus say this? Well, like I said, first, because, you know, it, it, someone else is going to hurt you tomorrow. Maybe even that same person. So you're going to have to learn to forgive again tomorrow. But here's another reason I think that Jesus said it. I think that sometimes we have to forgive someone 70 times seven times before that pain is completely rinsed out of our system. Maybe Jesus was like saying, there are some pains, some traumas. No, it's gonna take you not seven times, but 70 times seven to say, God, I let go of the pain, I give it to you like hundreds and hundreds of times. Every time that pain comes flashing back in your mind, no, Jesus, I gave this to you, I give it to you again. God, I don't wanna hold on to this, I refuse to hold on to it, I do not want this to mark my life and my story, I give it to you again, Jesus. And then we go a couple of days and we haven't thought about it and then there it is again. What do we do? Do we grab back a hold of it? Do we, do we grasp that pain again? Or do we like say, no, Jesus, I give it to you again. And then a month later, we're in church and we're in worship and all of a sudden this person's name comes flashing back. We can't even see the words on the screen. We just see that person's ugly face. Duh! And we want to strangle them all over again. Con's being real. And then we come and go, oh, Jesus, I've been working on this, but once again, Lord, I take this pain that was really inflicted against me. Things that were said, things that were done, things that were not done, that should have been done, all this stuff. I open my hands once again and I let it go to you. I give it to you. I am trusting in you to be my healer, my rescuer, my redeemer. Pastor, I really want to be good. <laughs> I really want to add goodness to my story, but man, it's a lot easier dealing with my junk. And even that's hard. It's hard to repent. But pastor, it's a lot harder to forgive. I think Jesus knows that. None of us have been hung on a cross. None of us have been betrayed at the level that he was betrayed. Jesus, we need your help. Jesus, we just finished by saying, God, we need your help with this. Because Lord, we do want to be good. We want to add goodness to our faith so that our faith will be useful, that it'll be meaningful, that it'll be effective and productive. We don't want to get stopped short with a useless faith. 
But Jesus, we recognize, we realize that if we don't do these things, if we don't repent, if we don't learn to forgive, we're going to end up one of those people with a useless faith. We'll keep hurting ourselves and hurting others. But we weren't designed for that. So Lord, we want to build on the foundation that you gave us. And God, part of that building is learning to forgive. Lord, and right now in the room, there's, man, so many different stories and probably even within one person is five, six, 10, 50 things that have been ugly and hurtful and traumatic against maybe even one person. But God, here's what I know. You know their story. You know each person's story. You know how they have been injured by the sin and brokenness of of others. And so God, would you say, Jesus, would you help us? Would you teach us how to open our hands and to begin to let go? of these things that for too long have been part of our lives. We don't want them there anymore. And friends, I, I don't know if it is helpful for you, but it's helpful for me. So I'm just gonna ask you all to do it. Whether you think there's anything to forgive or not, would you just open up your hands in front of you? Just, just put your hands in front of you and just open them up. If you're joining us online or listening to this podcast, just find a place where you just open your hands in front of you. And would you say these words? Would you just repeat after me? Would you say, Jesus, I am working to open my hands. Would you help me? Jesus, I want to let go of this pain and give it to you. You already know what this pain is. But I don't want it in my life any longer. Jesus, take it and set me free. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And now, friends, do it again when you get home. Maybe do it around the table with your family at lunchtime today. Kind of rehearse this word, this message, and practice it. Tonight, when you go to bed, before you close your eyes, just you're laying in bed and just open your hands and say, Jesus, I'm doing it again. 70 times seven. It's like he gives this really weird number. It's too hard to even keep track of. So just keep doing it continuously. Jesus, I'm here again. I'm opening my hands because I wasn't designed to carry this pain. I don't want it anymore. Take it. I let it go. And if there are things in your life, in your story, that you recognize, I need help with this. I've been trying to do this process, Pastor, for a long time, and I'm stuck. I I want you to talk with me, to talk with Pastor Kelly, to talk with Pastor Lisa, talk to one of our team members, Pastor Sergio. Find someone that you would trust and say, hey, could you help me find someone to help process this pain? Because our promise is we'll keep working until we find just the right person to walk with you 
through a process till it's all gone. Completely free. Forgiven and forgiving. I believe it's this double-sided coin of goodness that we're to walk into, friends. I mean, I can't even believe the next Sunday we get to come back and do it again. So good. Man, God is good. He wants us free. He wants us useful in his kingdom. And we want to be people who build with gold and silver and jewels, not wood, hay, and stubble, right? I can ask our prayer team to just come on up and to be available to pray because you may want to just say, hey, here's my story. Here's what I'm letting go to the Lord. And I know that they would love to join you in prayer and to see greater breakthrough today than you've ever known before in those places of brokenness and pain from your past. God is good. And hey, we're praying on Wednesday evenings from six to seven. If you can be here, man, it'd be our joy to have your voice joined in with many of ours as we just cry out to the Lord. Do these kinds of things, God, because this, this, these are the kinds of things we're praying for. That we would walk in these things, repentance and forgiveness and wholeness and freedom, not just for our story, but for others in our, in our city and community as well. So join us, please. You are loved friends. Have a great Labor Day. See you soon.